0: He is risen. risen I love to do that. Uh, One thing we hadn't mentioned yet is that our newest covenant child was born last Wednesday uh, at a whopping, what, six pounds, 13 ounces? Uh, Three? Huge for castings, giant baby. (coughs) Uh, Hannah Elizabeth Casting is her name. So we're thankful that she came into the world without any complications at all. Praise the Lord. And uh, so you can rejoice with us for that. So if you have your Bible with you or a phone, something with uh, scripture in it, go ahead and head over to Luke chapter 23. So today we're we're joining Christians who across the globe are gathered together celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That uh, is one of the things that makes us Christians weird, right? But it's one of the things that we... Uh, are gloriously excited about that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he is alive, and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, uh, and we rejoice in that. So if you've been with us, this feels a little weird being over here. Is it weird for y'all too? I'll try to remember you're over there. Um, But if you've been with us these past seven weeks, you know that we've been working through... Uh, the last seven statements of Jesus from the cross, and today we're going to be looking at uh, the last one one that we're looking at, but not the last one in the series. We actually are going backwards to, to pick one, uh, or to look at one that we skipped earlier. Our passage today is this conversation that Jesus has with the two criminals that are crucified on the cross uh, on each side of him. And I chose to preach this passage today because the gospel is so absolutely clearly displayed in this passage. And because it helps us to, to see what Jesus' death and resurrection means for every man, every woman, every child who looks to Jesus with faith. Because on this day, I, I, want, I want to help us see that our, our greatest need in all of life is to be forgiven of our sin by God himself. Uh, it's the way David Platt actually puts this incredibly well. He, he says, More than we need to be healed of cancer... We need to be cleansed of sin. Just to put it in some perspective there. More than anything else in the world, we need to be cleansed of sin. And my, my hope, as we unpack this, this passage today, is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that your, your faith would be strengthened, uh, that your hope for eternity would be absolutely fueled in a renewed passion. Uh, for the Lord, and if that's, um, and if you don't know the Lord today, if you reject Christianity outright, or if you are one of those who see it as just an opiate for the masses, something that comforts but has no substance to it, uh, my prayer is that God might work a transformation in your life today, so that you will daily find or daily and eternally find hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's let's get started. Unusual text, admittedly, that Jesus is still on the cross in our passage uh, on Easter morning. Uh, but we will, <clears throat> we will see how this connects to the resurrection as we go. So if you got your Bible, beginning in verse 32, we'll read verses 32 and 33, uh, and then skip ahead to verse 39 there to keep it all in one central story. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the Skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left.' Verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanging railed at him, saying, "Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us." But the other rebuked him, saying, "Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we are, we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong." And he said, "Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom." And he, meaning Jesus, said to him. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let us pray. Lord, on this day, as we celebrate the greatest day in the history of the world, the day that you rose from the dead, the day that you defeated death and redeemed your people from their sin, please draw our focus to your word this morning as we look to your word spoken on the cross. May we look beyond the cross. May we look to the empty tomb and find hope in, in what we call forever, what you call forever, in the life to come. In Jesus' name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. In Isaiah fifty three twelve, there's this prophecy uh, of a future coming Messiah, and it says that the, that the Messiah would be numbered among the transgressors sinners right those who were were guilty in our passage today we are seeing an absolute fulfillment of that prophecy in isaiah three men hang upon three different crosses all three are convicted criminals according to the, the state of rome but two are guilty and one of these men is actually innocent it's absolutely no accident that these two men are crucified to the left and to the right of our lord jesus when you look at this, it's, it's clear that the providence of God is at work, and, and there is a good reason for this. These three crosses, as we look at them, are this microcosm uh, of all of human history. See, you, you and I, we're, we're clearly not the Christ. So, so that's not our cross, but we will certainly relate to one or the other thief as they hang upon there. But first, though, you, you need to know that there is one God, and he consists in three persons. A little theology for you here, right? One God, and he consists in three persons. We, we call this the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son, the second person of the Trinity. He is truly God, and he was birthed into the world truly man. He lived a sinless life. According, he lived according to the law of God, absolutely perfect. He violated nothing. He is dying on a cross as we look at this passage, willingly. Not against his will, but willingly. Not because he's done anything wrong, but to take the punishment that, that you and I deserve. To, take, uh, to pay the price of forgiveness that we cannot pay. And Jesus did die. And he was buried in a tomb. And when Jesus is, is risen from the dead on that fearful Sunday morning, that's, that's proof that God the Father accepted the substitutionary sacrifice for all who are united to Jesus by faith. That's a simple understanding of what we're celebrating at the resurrection. But I I want us to turn back to these crosses and and focus on this. What's what's happening that Friday before the resurrection that makes this all so meaningful? Uh, That that Sunday, you know, Jesus is is still... Or that Friday, Jesus is still suffering upon the cross. And let's look at that second cross first. This is often called the the cross of rebellion. Uh, This is the criminal who, in our passage, taunts Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? save yourself and us. He's worried about his worldly life, right? But he's, he's teasing Jesus. He's saying, you, you, you say you're the Christ. They say you're the Christ, but clearly you can't do anything because you're not doing anything to, to save us or yourself right now. And so he rejects this idea that Jesus is a Messiah, Messiah, and he rejects this idea that Jesus is a king with a kingdom. The rest of the scriptures tell us that in rejecting Christ, this man will be judged by God according to his own deeds. This man will be found guilty because uh, of his sin, because according to the word of God, he, he is going to face the wrath of God in hell. And I know, I know, it's Easter morning. Do we have to talk about hell, right? Uh, we don't have to. We're going to, though. Um, and, and we don't have to, you know, I mean, we're going to because if you ever just pondered, what in the world has God saved us from? You know, if, if we were on a, a, the edge of a cliff, and, and you're about to fall off, and I, and I, like, grab you, right? At some point, you'd want to look over and see, what did you actually save me from? That is a long ways down. Uh, and, and that's where that a great appreciation kind of begins to come from. Uh, and I'll tell you from the start, people often debate, uh, godly people will often debate, whether the biblical language that we see in, in Scripture referring to hell, whether it's literal or whether it's figurative. Is this just giving us a general idea of what hell might be like, or is it actually describing it in great detail? And, I, and I've always found the entire argument foolish, because even if it's figurative, it, it, it paints a picture of a reality that will be so incredibly miserable that, that, that what are you trying to prove by, by, by that argument? I mean, think about this. Think about some of the things that Scripture says. Revelation 21 8 describes hell as the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Mark nine forty three, 43, Jesus, Jesus refers to hell as the unquenchable fire. In Matthew thirteen fifty, Jesus again says it is a fiery furnace. And this time he adds, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jude 1, 7 calls it a punishment of eternal fire. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9 says, of those who reject the gospel, it says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might separated from God I mean for all the other imagery in there that is terrifying separated from the goodness of God and at the same time bearing the wrath uh, of God for all eternity in other words it, it matters greatly whether you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ or not whether you are going to be judged for your sins or whether Jesus has already been judged for you in your place and so, while the one criminal saw this <clears throat> condemned man and, and mocked him, the other criminal actually responds in a very different way. He sees a savior. <clears throat> but I don't want you to think of this second man as a good guy. We tend to do that. Um, he's not. He, he's not at all. I mean, first of all, he's there as a convicted criminal, right? Um, in Matthew 27, this, the same situation is kind of explained. And, and there we learn that the Roman soldiers and the others are mocking Jesus and they're saying this they're saying you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days save yourself if you're the son of God come down from the cross and that's the soldiers right but in verse 44 just a few verses later we learn something about these two thieves there it says and the robbers who were crucified with Jesus also reviled him in the same way both of them Did you catch that? It's plural. Both of these robbers are saying despicable statements to to Jesus. Both of them had had mocked Jesus at the start, and yet at some point during this, there is this remarkable change of heart in the one of them. Uh, J.C. Ryle says this of this, this section. He says, Both saw and heard all that happened during the six hours that he was hung on the cross. Both were dying men and suffered acute pain. Both were equally sinners and needed forgiveness, yet one died in his sins as he lived, hardened and penitent and unbelieving. The other repented, believed, cried to Jesus for mercy and is now saved. One went one way, one went the other way, but it kind of makes us wonder, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, here are two men in the exact same situation, the same circumstance, and yet one of them comes to faith in the Lord and the other one doesn't. You know, we, we, we might wonder why. And I think most you would be quick to give the answer, right? Well, the Holy Spirit was working in the heart of one of the men. And that is absolutely true. But, but why that man and not the other one? I mean, we, we see the same thing today. Two people can sit and listen to the exact same sermon, and, and, and one of them would be incredibly moved by it, right? Uh, broken before the, the Lord, and the other remains absolutely unmoved. Two, two men can live through the exact same tragedy, and, and one of them will look to God for, for meaning, while the other one will be hardened against the Lord. To one, the, the gospel is made real and believed. To another, the gospel is hidden. And we ask ourselves, why? why? Why is this? Isn't that always the question for us? I mean, how is it, I mean, you that are believers today, you are Christians, how is it that you heard the gospel and you have believed it, and yet another person does not? See, on the larger scale, we, we can give the answer. We know it. Well, this is the sovereignty of God. But, but why one person and not another? And I'll be honest, I, I don't know. We, we give the answer according to God's good pleasure, but I, I don't know. I, I came to faith late enough in life. I was uh, 17 years old, and I, uh, I can actually remember sitting and hearing the gospel over and over again at a, a youth group I went. It was proclaimed clearly. It meant nothing to me. Sounds fine, didn't offend me, but had meant nothing to me. And I can remember the day that that I heard it and I was actually moved by it. I can remember later in my life when hearing the gospel even more that it suddenly started to mean something wonderful to me, that Jesus was something precious to me. Isn't the sovereignty of God just a strange thing when it comes to salvation? It's it's so out of our control. And yet we can be absolutely amazed that that anyone comes to believe, that anyone comes to, to trust in Jesus eternally. Uh, and then just the amazement that you are uh, eternally, literally eternally, you can be grateful to, to the grace of God in our lives and the lives of our fellow believers. And, and know this, God's sovereignty, though, does not remove responsibility. One of these criminals on the cross actively rejects the Lord, and the other one seeks the Lord in, in this moment. They're, they're not absolutely passive bystanders in a sense. They're actually responding to something. The Lord's doing the work in them, but they're responding. God God does something in the heart of the second man uh, that causes... Because think about this. Everyone is there mocking Jesus for being called a king. Even this man himself uh, was mocking Jesus. And then suddenly, suddenly he looks over at Jesus. And and something's different when he looks at him. He, He knows this Jesus really is the king he says he is. This Jesus really does have a kingdom. And his response shows us that he actually has true faith in Jesus. You look back at our passage here. The first thing we see is that he fears God and he rebukes the other criminal. And and he says to him, right? He says, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? Suddenly, the the glory of God's name suddenly matters to him. The state of this man's soul matters to him on on some level. That's why he's asking this. Don't you fear God? Because you should. Secondly, he he owns his sin. He's saying, you know what? The two of us, me, me and the other criminal, we belong on this cross. We are rightfully here. That's a big deal. I don't I mean, you remember this. This is a criminal who's saying he's guilty, that he's deserving of punishment. As, as humans, we have this amazing propensity to do terrible things or terrible things to people, and somehow blame somebody else for why we did it, for what we've done. But this man owns his sin. I, I shared some time ago that in college, I, I spent a night in, in jail, downtown Houston jail, so it was like a legit jail. Um, I, I didn't pay a parking ticket, no, a speeding ticket. And they upgrade those eventually to warrant arrest. Uh, and that's what happens. And so uh, the one thing I learned in jail that night, without a doubt, though, is that uh, everybody in jail is innocent. There is not a guilty person in there. Nobody. Uh, and I was the only one in there for a speeding ticket. But everyone, according to their own word, for some reason were unjustly put in that jail. It is amazing how many people are arrested unjustly. Every one of them. Uh, And yet here, you'll see this on this cross. Suddenly this this one criminal is confessing his guilt. We deserve this. This is where we belong. This is the punishment that we have earned. And and then we also see that that he's acknowledging that Jesus has done nothing wrong, that Jesus is innocent. He sees that. And finally, he proves that he believes Jesus is really a king with a kingdom When, when he makes this request of Jesus in verse 42. Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. The, the criminal doesn't think, you know, Jesus is going to die and then that's it. It's nothing. But, but he believes that somehow, some way, Jesus is going to live and he has a kingdom. So remember me. We, we see these, these evidences in his life. Uh, let me ask you, Christian, do you see the same evidences in your own life here? Um, do, you, do you care about the glory of God's name in your life? Are you finding that as, as something in your life? Do you, do you fear God in, in a healthy way, the right way? And do you care about the souls of those that you're interacting with? Are you you, you quick also to to own your own sin? That's a huge deal, to just own your own sin. And when you understand the gospel, you can just rest in the goodness of God, the grace of God for you, right? You don't have to keep justifying it verbally or otherwise. You can rest in the fact that that Christ has died for you. Um, Do you look to Jesus, not only as your Savior, but as your King, your Lord? And lastly, are you growing in humility like this, man? There's a, a great deal of humility that comes upon him uh, uh, immediately. I, I have a friend who, who before her hope truly was resting in Jesus in a real serious way. She, she said she was so prideful that, that she would get incredibly angry at, at, at anything, anytime she'd mess up at anything. Um, you know, even like dropping her keys would, would make her angry if, if, because there was this pride, this aspect that, you know, I, I can't laugh at myself. And, and I'll tell you that the Lord has done such an amazing work in her life uh, that as she's sharing the story with us, we're thinking, I can't believe that. I can't picture you that way. There's no way you were ever like that. Uh, but that's the work of humility that God does in someone's life that, that you wouldn't even believe they could be that way. And yet the Lord has, has done this work. Um, That's an amazing thing. As her faith grows, so has her humility, and it's true of all Christians. Uh, Are you more humble today as you're walking according to the grace of of the Lord? Now, now, at this point, we come to my favorite part in this entire passage. uh, Because Jesus could have responded to him in any number of ways. We don't often think about that, but Jesus could have said, you know what, you deserve your punishment. And he would have been right. Or, Or he could have said, you know what, it's too late, you should have come to me early in life. Now's the end. I mean, who could argue with that? He he could have remained absolutely silent. After all, that's pretty much what he's been doing on the cross all along. You you remember the crowds, the soldiers, the other criminal. um, You know, he's been mocked by everyone, and he's remained silent all throughout this. And yet, when this broken and contrite, wretched sinner um, in faith calls out for help, Jesus responds with this promise, this precious promise, promise of future hope, of certain hope. He says it there in verse 43, truly, this is Jesus, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And with this one sentence, he forever, forever changes our view of death. Jesus is saying, if you trust in me, the second you die in death, you will be with me. And I, I know that we, we look forward to, to death, to heaven on some level, right? We, we look forward to, to being with believing grandparents and parents and children and friends and, and anyone that we've loved dearly and we've lost and the idea that we're going to be reunited to them. And there's nothing wrong with that desire. That's a good desire. But, but what we might not realize sometimes is that even more than that, even, even more, even if we don't feel it emotionally at every moment of our lives in the same way we might for that, uh, we will be satisfied in this moment, because we are in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we've only begun to learn just how wonderful Jesus is. There's another thing here. Did you did you notice that Jesus doesn't say someday? He says today you'll be with me in paradise. At at that very. At the very moment of death, uh, uh, the soul of a believer goes immediately to be with Christ in fellowship, uh, while we await an eventual physical resurrection, where we'll be reunited with our bodies. Uh, The Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians five eight teaches this as well. When he says we when we're absent from the body, we're at home with the Lord. See, the man that we're talking about here, this criminal, uh, died on his cross. Later that day, we can assume from a statement, and at, the mo- at that moment, he was with Jesus in paradise. Paradise is just a, a Parisian uh, Persian rather word for garden, and here it is used as just another word for, for heaven, for, for being with God in his kingdom. think about this what an amazing work of providence God has worked in this man's life though he could have been crucified uh, a day later and and things would be different he could have been crucified on a different hill and, and things would have been very different to him but but God in his grace used this event to bring him to faith in Jesus and and it's all by the grace of God every last bit of it right we we sometimes confuse these things with good works and and we ought not you know here's here's a man whose hands and feet were nailed to a cross he could literally move nowhere to do any good works for anyone to make any contribution to his salvation. He, he was saved by the grace of God alone. And I want you to notice here that, that trusting in Jesus didn't change his circumstance one bit. Before he did and after he did, he's still nailed to a cross. He's still dying on this cross. We know that he dies shortly after. It's, it's not that Jesus gives him some second chance to live life differently. Maybe this time do it incredibly holy. But, but rather his status before God changes. And his eternal future changes completely. See, up until this, this moment, the, the criminal's crucifixion, this was going to be the end of everything for him. Nothing left of purpose. And now it's, it's just a passage that, that is going to bring him into a new existence, an eternal existence, a better existence. Guys, I'll tell you this. I, I don't want to die. I try to avoid it every chance I get. You know, I, I don't eat raw chicken. I wear my seatbelt. I do all the things I can do to try not to die. I go to my doctor. He tells me how to eat better. I usually do what he says. Um, I don't want to die because I don't want to leave Laura. I don't want to leave my children. I don't want to see them growing. I want to continue pasturing you. I, I don't want to die, but I do know that if I were to die long before they even pronounce me dead officially, uh, that I would be in the presence of the Lord Jesus who welcomes me into paradise, into heaven, into his presence. That's the truth of the gospel, that's the truth of the resurrection. God's eternal kingdom is, is why we can say with Paul in, in 1 Corinthians uh for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Jesus said in John 14.2, I, I, I go to prepare a place for you. And when we enter into death, we, we have a place and a Savior waiting for us. I, I told you these, these crosses though, this is a, a microcosm of all of, of human history and it raises this question, which, which cross is, is your life? I know it sounds like a cheesy reference here, but there's a reality of this, that which, which cross reflects you? This cross of rebellion or, or the cross of redemption? It's a, it's a question of faith for sure. You know The, the gospel is asking you to believe something that you, you can't see. That's always the challenge. We, we want absolute proof, right? We, we can't see Jesus. We can't see God or the Holy Spirit. But, but I do believe that I am a sinner, that, that Jesus is my Savior. And this, this is an act of faith, something we believe that we, we can't see. We can't absolutely prove. I believe the words of people like Matthew, like Mark, like Luke, like John, like, like Peter and Paul and Moses and Jeremiah and James and and the other biblical 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 authors who have been carried along by the Holy Spirit as they were writing these things. I I believe their words so that I can believe that in which I cannot see until the day comes when when God shows us and we can see. You see, Christians, one day you will be uh, you'll, you'll meet this criminal. Who had nothing to offer the Lord and by grace alone has been given the gift of eternal life through faith in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then the the resurrection, right? That's what we're celebrating today, the resurrection, and it has current and future implications for us. First of all, when we know our eternity is secure in Christ, when we know this, that our souls will be with God immediately and that we will be made whole again with our physical bodies at the the end, at the resurrection, then then succeeding in every other area of life suddenly is not that important. Right? I I don't mean that we just stop Progressing in our academics, that we stop progressing in business or career or whatever it might be, but, but suddenly it's not our everything. It can't be. What, what, what does it matter? My, my f- future is secure in the Lord. It, it doesn't matter if you make it big, if your name is famous, if you have lots of money. It doesn't matter because I have God's approval. I have an eternal life. I have a place in God's never-ending glorious kingdom. Jonathan Edwards uh, says it well. He says, To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. We're Americans. We know about pleasant accommodations. We even get to travel to the greatest places on the planet. We, we know what luxury and pleasure is as America, and yet it is greater in eternity. The, the, the least pleasure of eternity is greater than the best pleasure now. Do you ever think about heaven though? We oddly as Christians really don't. We just vaguely think about it. I know anytime Laura and I have ever changed locations, moving somewhere, we begin to research the location. What's what's the weather like there? You know? Is it gonna snow on April 1st there? Um, that did not show up in our research. Um, but what's it going to be like? What's the food like? What are the people like? What, I mean, what's it look like there? You know, we, we get this, this glimpse of heaven from Scripture, and it's just a glimpse. Uh, Revelation seven thirteen through 17 tell us, uh, there we, we learn that we're never going to go hungry or thirsty, that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. and In Revelation 21 and 22, we read that uh, in God's kingdom, death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Do you hear that? Cancer and heart disease and Parkinson and every other disease no longer will exist. There will not even be a, a remnant of the curse to be found in the kingdom of God. It says that the city streets will be made with gold and don't be impressed by the value of it because money won't be of any importance. It'll just be beautiful. That's the point that they're going to be made of gold. In the eternal city there will be no sun, no moon, no stars because the light that radiates from the glory of God and from Christ is sufficient to illuminate the entire place. And we'll be perfectly sanctified. Won't that be wonderful? You know the the sins that you, you struggle with the most, the ones that are internally digging at you that you just can't seem to get a handle on, that you're struggling with always. You won't even feel tempted eternity, when we're sanctified completely. And like I said, this is just a tiny glimpse, a tiny, tiny glimpse of what the resurrection means for us, what, what eternity holds out for us. So let me bring this to a close. I mean, think about this. These, these two criminals are so similar in life, and yet today, as we celebrate Easter this morning, one of them is in the kingdom of God, and the other one is not. One will face eternity apart from Jesus, outside the kingdom in a place that God's word refers to as hell. The other will be resurrected to eternal life with Jesus in his kingdom, and even now dwells with them. If, if you desire to believe the gospel, to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, then, then you need to know this, that the sovereign Lord is already at work in you. That's why you're having this desire. And if you're there, if you're one of those people with these questions and there's just something that you're hanging up on, I I really mean this, talk to me. Let's go grab coffee, beer, whatever you want to drink. I don't care. And talk about these questions. Uh, Because there is nothing more important in your life than, than knowing God. And while you still have breath, you can still turn to Jesus, repenting and believing, trusting him with faith. And those of you who are walking with the Lord already, I I want to end with this quote from Paul Tripp. Uh, I read it this week about how the empty tomb changes our our lives. He says this, No matter how mundane, routine, and slowly progressing your story seems to be, it is marching towards a glorious conclusion. There will be a moment when God will raise you out of this broken world into a paradise where sin and suffering will be no more. And today, as we celebrate the glorious resurrection of Jesus, let us us find this spiritual rest. Let us find this rest in, in all that he's done for us. We go to the Lord. He is a good Lord. He's died for us on the cross, and he's risen from the grave so that we can be sure that we too will be risen like him in the future. Let us pray. Lord, your word is truth. Make our feeble hearts to believe it May we enjoy the gift of this life and also learn to look with expectation to the life to come, all because Jesus died for our sins and was the first of many who will be risen back to life. If, if any here this morning do not have the comfort of knowing that their souls are eternally secure, grant them faith to believe you, who are mighty to save. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.